Episode of One More Round. We have another busy week this week, so once again we're recording on a Tuesday. We have Fall House tonight with us, so uh, all three of Gary, Chris, and Stephen are joining us. How's all keeping? Very good after the first 45 minutes of the Carlin Cup games. <laughs> What's going on there? Um, I've, my um, my five-euro bet is is very much live at the moment. I've gone for the four Premier League sides to progress after 90 minutes and. At the moment, I've got three out of three with one to play tomorrow, so Makes fingers pain. crossed one for of that. Makes be doing well. Yeah, well, one of us is due a win, so hopefully it'll be me. <laughs> <laughs> hope not. I hope not. Charming. <laughs> <laughs> I know, aren't I? <laughs> Gary, Stephen, how is? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, very good, very good. Good stuff. Um, Gary, once again, you didn't give me a topic to do for the question of the week, so I went ahead and did my own one. Uh, all right. Why aren't you sending me these questions? I didn't remember, to be honest, but I, I, I trust you. <laughs> it's that trust that has you languishing at the foot of the table, Gary. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't want to point any blame, so thankfully someone else said it. <laughs> <laughs> it's your trusting nature, is it? Yeah, it's a curse. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, what I've gone and done, ahead, gone and done is... Uh, with Leicester going into this weekend's fixture at the top of the league, what I wanted to know was, what was Leicester City's highest ever top-flight finish? Um, so, speaking of Leicester, I suppose, there's only one place to start there with Jamie Vardy. What do you think? He got lucky. Yeah, he took his goal very well. <laughs> one chance, one goal. Jamie Vardy's having a party. He is. We're all in, I think we're all invited at this stage. <laughs> and for the sounds of he's going to have a much bigger party soon. He's signed a new, is it a fi- a new five-year deal. Yeah, he said that Leicester like can match his ambitions and stuff. He must have quite mediocre ambitions then. <laughs> considering where he considering where he started though, like he's gone from Fleetwood to the Fleetwood to Leicester, and he he nearly retired when he was at Fleetwood. So if he's happy enough with Leicester, I saw he, he said if United or Chelsea came knocking in January, he'd say no. Why would he leave Leicester? He's happy. He's playing well. So why 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 would you leave? Like he's in the England squad. He's, Eventually, he'll get his game when Hodgson cops on the room. He's out of form, so. It's a good point because, yeah, so many players go for that big money move and it just doesn't work out. Whereas if they'd stayed an extra two or three years at the club they made their name in, you never quite know what what they could have done. Like, it's maybe not the best example, but someone like Delf or someone like Jack Rodwell who kind of made an early move and just stalled their career whereas I know he's a bit maybe a bit older because he's gone through the, the non-league and he's a bit wiser maybe but like there, like you said there's nobody above them in the league they're, they're tied with City there is nowhere better right now so why even contemplate moving I think you hit the nail on the head with wiser like the likes of Rodwell and Delph as you mentioned they can afford like they're in their early to, to mid-twenties they could afford to go and sit for two or three years 
Uh, whereas if Vardy does that, he's 31. Like he's very much at the the peak of his power, so he can't afford three years sitting on the bench to earn a few quid. Like he could do it simply for a money aspect, but he'd be effectively ending his career. But I don't think those players assume their careers are ending. They're going because they think they can break in. Yeah, I, I do agree with that, but I think they do know that if it doesn't work out, when I'm 25, I've made probably three three times what I would have made at my current club, and I've still got the opportunity to go and play again and rebuild. Whereas I don't think Vardy could do that. Yeah, it's a fair point. I just think very few players have been able to do that, have been able to rebuild their career. Having yeah, like spent two or three years languishing on the bench or in, in the reserves. Like, look like what happened. Johnson or something like that, but like, like you say, he hasn't got back to the level. No, not even close to it. I think it's the same. It's the same as Scott Sinclair, though, as well. He he had two really good years at Swansea. He went to City purely again for the money, and he's he doesn't look anywhere near the player he was when he left Swansea. Now with Villa, he he can't even get into a Villa team that's struggling at the bottom of the league. I'd say probably the prime example would be, and he was a player I certainly was glad to see the back of at the end would be Glenn Johnson. He went to Chelsea very early and then he was able to rebuild at Portsmouth and get a big move again. But it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, and, and if Glenn Johnson is your argument for that, then it's, it's not the best argument in the world. I, I know he was good for you for a while, but like he was tipped, he was playing for England, he was tipped to be one of the next best left-backs or right-backs in an Ashley Cole mold and, and just went nowhere. Yeah, it's... Uh, He's, it's the right thing for Vardy to do. It definitely sounds like there's more players who fail at an early move rather than succeed. Like, I suppose Rooney moved early, but he, I suppose you could see the talent he had. There's other, where the players used to be mentioning all seem to have gone just for the money. Would that be... But I think the thing is, the players we're mentioning are all players who weren't guaranteed first-team football at the big club they're moving to. Where Rooney... they were confident enough in their own abilities that they genuinely thought they would have got first-team football. In, so, in some situations, yeah, you could say, um, like Rodwell and Sinclair, when they went to City, they were never... Go- who were they going to get in ahead of there? Like, were they going to get in ahead of Silva or Yaya Toure or whoever it is? Not a chance. They purely went for the money. Adam Johnson, maybe, because he went to a, he went to City at a time when they were struggling for wingers, so he had a decent chance. Anyone else, though, was purely been for the money. Definitely the Delft one. I think he came out and ad- admitted as much... Um, when he when he turned them down the first time, he said, like, I, "I can't say no to this. Like it's going to put my my family in a stable position when I'm when I finish my career." So, at least he was honest about it. But it's not like he's earning bad money. No, but if you're earning like, I don't know, I, I, I'm guessing here, bro. If he's earning like thirty grand a week at Villa, which is obviously huge money, and then City are going to double it or even treble it, then he's obviously making. Um, nine years worth of income in, in the space of three so it's obviously an extra two it's like an extra two contracts from it's like a huge difference in money that's gonna set him up for the rest of his life mm, yeah I can... especially if he, he doesn't strike me as the most charismatic so probably not gonna have a future as a, a pundit or an analyst or something like that so he's thinking really make the money now and then I don't know whatever he's gonna do when he retires well I suppose well, I do it it, the other thing, the other thing to look at though is like footballers' careers are short enough as it is. So why would you? Fair enough. You everyone wants to earn the most they can, but why take it when 
you've only got a career maybe what 14 15 years and you're going to spend half that sitting on the bench yeah, or, playing, or, or playing the odd league cup they get 30 grand a week yeah. the thing is not, not all people now I'm not accusing um, Dell for this but not all footballers are particularly in love with the game of football they do it because they're good at it oh it's like a, a suicata I remember he used to say he just played because he was good exactly Stephen Ireland said the same as well and even players at the level as, as bad as suited, like they weren't in love with the game, and when their career is over, they've left it completely. Um, so, like, it's we kind of have the perception that all football players are football fans, and like, why wouldn't you want to play every week? But they're not all like that, and some of them are are happy to sit on the bench and take the paycheck. Yeah, I suppose just we, we can't kind of get our head around the fact that because we all think, oh, it'd be great to be getting anything to play football. Absolutely, like you. Well, for us, like. Uh, for me, it would be Liverpool. You, yous would be United. Like you assume, if you're at that club, then that's it. And why would you ever leave? But like you say, other other f- f- people have different um, aspirations and different things that make them tick. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, going back, let's see United game in there, though. A one-all draw. Um, it doesn't seem like the United fans are going to be too happy with Van Gaal. They don't know how, how much longer. Like Stephen Gary, usually United fans. As was on myself, like so. Are you sick and tired at this stage, or what? It, it's it's half depressing, half boring watching United now. There's just there's no structure to it. There's nothing going forward. Like how any United fan could be happy with that is with that is beyond me. Like I'd rather I'd almost rather play good football and lose more often than get the results, just to make it some way entertaining. I'd still rather be winning myself personally. No, yeah, I, I think if you had a couple of years of David Moyes, you might uh, change your opinion on that one. Uh, only a no. point off top. Yeah, but look, like, I think that's, that yeah. was one. Of, that was one of the most boring games. Like United have been so boring to watch the last while. That like, is it just he's setting up purposely not to lose the games, and if he wins, it's a bonus or? What is he actually doing? Well, I think we're a point off top, off top. So like, he's doing something right. I think he's doing what what pretty much he was brought in to do, which is steady the ship. But I hope if Guardiola is out of contract at the end of the season, just pay Van Gaal off for his last year of his contract, and while Guardiola's a free agent, just go get him and bring that football then to United. Because look what he did with Barca with Bayern. Well, Why not let him do it? At United. To be fair with that Bayern side, he took over a, a team that won the treble, and he made them worse. No, like, well, fair, like, fair enough. Like they, he, they couldn't have got much better, but I don't, I don't think they've been as effective. And they've been uh, done a lot of the build-up play that, that United do. They've just had more at the other end, but they do play like a, a very much a possession game as opposed to the the fast-flowing game that Bayern played before he came in. They just have the better finishers in the team. Exactly. More, they do play a slow tempo game, which doesn't suit the way United claim to want to play. No, but like even if you look at what Guardiola brought into Bayern, even this season, he got Douglas Costa from Shakhtar, twenty-two million. United paid twenty, we'd say twenty-four million for Memphis. Now Memphis will, I hope, come good within the next 18, 18 months, given to adjust. But look at what Douglas Costa has done—the Premiership coming from from Shakhtar. That's fair and enough. You can't really blame uh, Van Hal for that. I mean. Memphis was one of the most sought-after teenagers out there, and it, fair enough, it hasn't really worked out from yet in the league. Sometimes he's been played out of position as well, but you can't really blame Van Hal because a deal that most clubs in Europe would have been happy to make hasn't come off as yet. No, but I think 
the only way I would blame Banahal with that is he obviously knows Memphis' strengths and weaknesses or whatever, and the way he's lining United up isn't suiting him. Like Memphis did well in that Dutch team, which was an average Dutch team in the last World Cup. But look at the way they were set up. That was a three-five-two with Blind and I think with Stefan De Vries. Are you saying As that we should build a United back I can't see why not because when that team, like that team that beat Spain, what was it, four-five-one in the first game of the World Cup? There was a good bit of pace in that team between Memphis, between Narsing, between Robin going forward. Then you had Van Persie in the middle, and while they were steady at the back, there was still pace going forward forward so why why not adapt a similar thing to United because United have always had like we said a couple of weeks ago fast wingers and just run at teams now it's all struggling to see where goals are going to come from because there's no weight it's very one dimensional so something has to give yeah I think after 14 games if you'd said United are a point off, off the top you'd go grand I'm happy with that but as Gary said when you watch them you're not happy with, happy with the way they're playing. I think the thing is, we used to United teams breaking quickly. And now it's it's so pedestrian in getting the ball forward. It is very, it is possession-based, but there was a couple of times in a Leicester game and, and the Champions League game last week where United get the ball in midfield, there's a chance to break. And whether, whether, whether it be Carrick or Schneiderlin or even Schweinsteiger, they're looking for the, the, the nearby pass. They're not going for the 20-30 yard forward ball when it when it is on. I don't mind if they're not going for it if there's nobody there. But there was times when Rooney was free. There was times when Mata was free and the ball just isn't going to them. And in that regard, that's what United fans want. I think Van Hal is happy to... And he set, he set up the best defensive team in the league this year. I think that's the basis he's going to challenge for the title on that. United don't lose many games... Like since that 3-0 against Arsenal, I think they've conceded was it three goals, four goals in the, in the league. Um, com- completely solid at the back. The last two goals have been a penalty and a go- and a and a goal by a guy who's broken the consecutive Premier League goals record. So we're not playing badly defensively. So it's just a matter of he hasn't got the front four, front five able to play. I think the way he wants to. I think he, he would prefer. Like he's not a boring coach. We've seen him in teams before. He has, as Gary said, he's got Holland playing adventurously in the World Cup, but he hasn't found how to get those front four, front, four, front five working yet. And I just it's hope... Not, it's, not, it's not pretty to watch, but I suppose, I suppose I'll take the results as they keep coming. Exactly. You take the results until the second half of the season. If it's still boring, if he still hasn't found a way, then you start kind of worrying because... I think most, most. I talk to Chris. Would, would you take a boring Premier League win this year? Absolutely. Like we had, um, obviously, our, our run when we got we finished second eventually to City. We were the most exciting team in the league. I, I don't think anyone would argue with that. And we finished second. Like probably at the moment, Leicester are the most exciting team in the league, but they're conceding lots of goals, and eventually they're going to be able to need to win games one nil, and they don't look able to do. It. If you were asked between Leicester, Man City and United at the moment, who you think could grind out a horrible 1-0 win? It would probably still be United that most people would say. And for me, personally, I would take the league playing badly and nicking games 1-0 then going on for 80-85% of the season hammering teams and then at the end just not being able to see it through. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned City then and they beat Stampton 3-1. So like the bounce back after 
the hammer of Liverpool. Like, do you think... Yeah, but that, that, that's still five goals conceded in their last two games, which is oh, a de- problem de- for them. Definitely, yeah. But I suppose if you look at it, they are back top of the league again as well. Yeah, they are still top, like you said, and, and they're probably the, the most equipped side to go on and win the league. But <laughs> the one problem that they seem to have is for all the, the money they've spent on central defenders, um, they do concede goals. Like, whenever companies either not in the team or not on form, they struggle. Um, between Mangala, Di Michaelis, and now Otamendi that has, has come in, they just don't look as assured as when company was at the, the peak of his powers. The other slight worry is, although I, I think it's only going to be for a match or two, is they're, they're missing Joe Hart, who is in, in top form at the moment. Um, Cavaliero has looked a bit dodgy when he has played. Yeah, and you mentioned like that the fact that all the money they spent as well, but you see they got a, what was it, £265 million pound investment again today. Was it... Um, was it from Emirates by any chance or somewhere no, like that? From China. No, it was some was some some group of Chinese investors have bought some like a twelve, thirteen percent stake in City, so they'll get extra money now. It's not like they needed it or anything. Yeah, the rich keep getting richer. Yeah, well like the fifty five million they spent on De Bruyne is looking decent now, isn't it? Was it a goal and two assists this weekend? Yeah, he's, he just looks different class. If you think they spent what? They spent about ten 10 million, maybe a little bit more on him compared to Sterling, and the difference in quality is unbelievable as far as I'm concerned, just in terms of end products. Oh, completely, completely different. And like, he's, I know he's, he's older than Sterling, Sterling's still very young, but he's not like that much older, is he not? It seems that, that um, the failed time at Chelsea has done him very well. Um, he went off to, to Germany. And but just... that's, why a lot, that's why a lot of Chelsea fans were going mad when he was sold. He was sold for 15 or 18 million when Chelsea got him I think it was from Anderlecht everyone could see how good of a player he was but Mourinho for whatever reason wouldn't give him his chance loaned him out and City paid like City paid triple what obviously Chelsea sold him and Mourinho was obviously hoping he'd block in back in the Premier League point was that he didn't think De Bruyne had the mental ability when he wasn't the first name on the team sheet obviously that's not an issue with City because he's playing so well they're obviously not going to drop him I'd say him and Aguero can do well together if Aguero can stay fit isn't he injured again? Yeah, he's injured <laughs> out again. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, with the fantasy football thing, I couldn't decide between captain, captaining De Bruyne or Sanchez. I went with Sanchez, and what a wrong decision that was for me. I could have been pulling even further ahead of you. Yeah, well, I, I, I had the same one. And who'd you go for? I had, um, it was either Lukaku or Brian, and I went with Lukaku. Oh, at least he got go. Yeah, look, at the end of... I made the wrong choice. I know, yeah. That, that Everton game, actually, now you, you mentioned Kaku. Like, you, everyone must have thought they had it won. But, like, I suppose there's nothing like the last, last minute equaliser, is there? Well, Everton scored there after five minutes of injury time, wasn't it? Four, maybe, yeah. something like that, yeah. And, and then what? Uh, Bournemouth in the 98th? 98th, yeah. Like, and, uh, Fergie I, time. I, I, that's more than Fergie time. I, I, lo- I loved like watching that and like seeing like the crowd reaction of like a 98 minute equaliser winner. It's great. That was a good game as well. Some cracking goals. Yeah, yeah. Bournemouth seemed to be uh, grinding out a few results. They drew at Swansea last week as well. Yeah, it's it's impressive that they've been able to get the goals without uh, Wilson. Um, Stanislas looks in in great form. Yeah, do you think they, they've kind of thought they? They can't play the way they want to play, so now they have to kind of... They're adapting now and just trying to grind their results. Like, they have a huge battle still to stay up, but, but like I think they're showing the fight that that's needed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think with how they're, they're always going to be giving it their 
ball. It was just a wonder if could they get, score the goals without Wilson, and maybe they can, but they're probably going to need to keep a few clean sheets. Yeah, they're not looking like they're doing that at the moment. We're like, I don't think they ever had a chance against Everton with like Barkley and Lukaku the way they're playing. Yeah, no, it is going to be hard for Bournemouth to keep a clean sheet with, like you said, Lukaku, Barkley. They're all in good form, but they are grinding their wind. But the Swansea one, they they threw away a two-goal lead, held on for that one, and then they fought back at the weekend against Everton. So they were they deserve the point if they can hang on to the January transfer win, and be maybe two or three points, whether it's they're an 18, two points off or two points clear, and just go ahead and get a replacement for Wilson just at the end of the season. I'd say they should be all right. But. Like a Charlie Austin or something. No, I can't see it being Charlie Austin because he won't. Would you make the move for, we'd say, five months and then potentially be relegated back to the championship after signing a three-year deal with the club? The Unless only way there was a, like a clause that they had to sell him on if he did go, if they did go down. But but even there's the rule as well with FIFA, you can you can only play with two clubs in a calendar really? year. I thought it, I thought it was two. So if he plays with QPR in January, it's it's three as far as I know. Alright, so he. He might get he would get away with it then, but why would you why would you move for the sake of five months if you, there's a realistic chance you were going to get relegated? Well, do QPR like, look like they're going back up? No, Q, well, QPR at the moment I think are somewhere they're ninth or tenth. Like they're not too far off the playoffs, but if they're hit and miss at the moment, they've still got Warnock as a manager, so that to tell you all you need to know. Yes, yeah. yes, teams up anyway, but you can't keep them up. Yeah, so. I, I could ne- you could nearly see them going for someone like Jermaine Defoe on loan or really someone just to bring in on loan that's not getting regular games at the clubs yeah I think what they probably need they're, they're away to Chelsea now in the next game and I think uh, uh, it's not, even, even if Chelsea aren't in great form it's still not a nice place to go try to get a victory or get points no but they've lost like they've lost more games at home this season than than Anton Anthony I think they've lost four or seven games at home so you wouldn't you wouldn't put a pass forward and get a result. Obviously, maybe not the win, but you could see them getting a draw against them. Do you think so? Yeah. Well, like I do. No, no, no one would have thought. Yeah, no one would have thought Swansea would have gotten a draw, or who was it? Liverpool beat them there, and Southampton beat them there. And most people would have said no, the comfortable Chelsea win or it'd be a draw or whatever, but they went there and beat them well. So okay. there's no reason why Bournemouth can't do it. Bournemouth are slightly different than Liverpool. Nice it to say. Uh, yeah, <laughs> slightly different than Southampton as well. So it's... Well, didn't Sunderland go there last year and beat them? And Sunderland were in a similar position to what Bournemouth are in now. End of the season dogfight, wasn't it? Yeah, they went there and beat them. What was it, 2-1? So there's no reason they can't do it with the way Chelsea are playing, so... I'd like to see them obviously do it. the longer Chelsea stay in the bottom of half the table I'll be happy man yeah, Costa Stephen, uh, I know you had him as captain he was causing a bit of trouble against Spurs wasn't he not, well, not, not a good way for Chelsea well I didn't have him as captain Did you see I this? had, had, had Lukaku yeah I had Lukaku and then decided to bring in Costa I believe uh, Glenn and I warned you at the weekend Stephen about replacing a a captain who scored you a goal for someone else that it was a risky move it was a risky move, but being the bones of 100 points behind, you have to take risks, just like Bournemouth. So I'm didn't pay off, but we go again. Will Costa play against Bournemouth now, like the whole supposed rift with him and Mourinho? 
Well, he has to play, doesn't he? Because he threw his bib away, so he can't sit on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was... Or, or I could just leave him home in the naughty corner as well. No, I, I don't think he'd play. Mourinho would prove a point now, and he probably won't put him in the squad. So the naughty corner it is, is it? Yeah, I'd say so. I think the opposite. I think he might actually play him. He's angry. He wants to play. This is a game at home against a team who are 18th in the league. If you put Costa on and he's angry, which is normally when he plays his best football, if you get the goal or two, you can turn around and go, well, look, I am I know I had a man manager with my players. And he so doesn't need a victory. Man but Mourinho needs some yeah, kind of victory. Yeah, I would say the flip side of that is that this is probably a game they can get away without playing him. At home against Bournemouth, they could probably play, I don't know if Remy's back, but they could even play Hazard up front. He would look quite good against Spurs. Um, and probably get the win and kind of it's the perfect time for Jose to kind of go look I'm in charge and this is how we do things rather than if they were one of the bigger sides they might need to play him yeah on the team. exactly and just kind of the perfect time for him to do it because like I said it's not a it's not a big side that they're facing at the weekend although it, it could pose but, problems in its own way but, but that in itself is the problem is that they've only won four games this season so they aren't able to beat the, the bottom half team. That's where they're, they've been struggling a lot. So they need to get wins and you need players who are going to score you goals. And while he hasn't been doing a lot this season, he is your best striker. So it would be different if they were top two and they were playing Bournemouth next week. You could do it the way I think Ferguson did it with Beckham at the time we played Leeds when they're top. You can afford to do it. When you're 14th and only five points away from relegation, you can't afford to be leaving out your best striker. Do you think they'll end up selling uh, Costa in January? There's been a lot of the, the stories going around, whether it's Griezmann or now Alex Teixeira from Shakhtar coming in in January. And there was a lot of talk of Costa leaving. Well, definitely, I think there was there was some truth behind the rumours that he wanted to go in the summer and Chelsea wouldn't let him go. Where do you so want to go? Oh. He wanted to go back to Spain, from what I was reading. Um, wasn't yeah, he wasn't happy life in England. He wanted to do what Felipe Luis did and go back to Atletico. So, I mean the whole kind of the way he's played and even the way Chelsea have played it kind of would fit into that like something not right in the camp people being there that don't want to be there um, so I think inevitably if that is the case he's going to go at some point um, whether it's in January I'm not sure but if they were able to get uh, Griezmann in that would be a hell of a signing I think if they get um, like Griezmann's obviously a good player but this one that's at Shakhtar to share he's He's an incredible player, and if they can get him for anything between 20 and 25 million, they, they'll get a bargain. Like, whatever it is with Shakhtar, they always get decent Brazilian players for next to nothing, sell them on, and this is going to be the next one now from them. But if Chelsea get him with him, William, and, well, Hazard as a front three, they, they should do a lot better. The other thing you would say, would Shakhtar need to sell him? Because didn't they sell Adriano and Douglas Costa in the summer? So they're not going to need to sell on the cheap. But that's the thing. If you look at what Shakhtar have actually sold in, the, we'd say the last three or four years, Fernando Fernandinho, William, Douglas Costa, Luis Adriano, they haven't needed to sell any of them, but they've gotten stupid money for a lot of them. Exactly. So, so if, they're, if they're getting stupid money, then they're not going to let this Tashira guy go on the cheap. So Chelsea are going to have to shell out if they want to sign him. No, that's the thing. Like they could easily get twenty-five million for him. He is that good that they could get that for him, and then just go to Brazil and get another one, who's younger and who's going to going to be worth the same value. But Chelsea 
Chelsea desperately need someone like that. And like Remy has now showed Falca, God only knows where he is. So they need something. Yeah, I suppose they do. Um, that's if they do get across the goal, though, I suppose. Um, Chris, looking at your Liverpool, actually, uh, Klopp's first home win, was it, in the Premiership? Yeah, it was pretty much about all you could say about it. Um, <laughs> I know you specifically went out to watch it. I did, and I, I was very happy with the outcome of the match. Um, it wasn't a great game. Swansea um, sat very deep, kind of, as teams tend to do when they come to Anfield. Um, tried to soak up and play on the counter. Um, and yeah, there was lots of kind of huffing and puffing from Liverpool without really creating the killer chances. I think Benteke wasn't at his best. A couple of times um, his touch let him down. And one time he had a chance to kind of swivel in the box and take a shot and he decided to lay it off instead. It just it seemed like it was going to be one of those days. And thankfully, a, a kind of a, a run down the right-hand side from Jordan Ivan cross and the defender is jumping with his arms out and the referee gave a penalty to us which Miller, Milner thankfully dispatched um, I know Gary Monk wasn't happy with the penalty but obviously I'm going to say I thought it was Yeah, yeah. Um, but he, the, the Swansea player gives the referee a decision he's jumping with his arms in an unnatural place and the ball does strike them if his arms are down then the ball gets past him and maybe we score from the cross so as far as I'm concerned it was a penalty and Thankfully, we were able to go on and win the game from there. Come here, what's yeah. the story with Sturridge? Well, I was just going to say the, the really good news for us is that both Sturridge and Henderson returned in the game and played about 20 minutes each. Maybe Henderson got a little bit longer, um, not by much. Um, Henderson looked very sharp for someone who's been out a few months. He was only on the pitch, I think it was 20 seconds, and he had it for his first press. Um, so we've missed him a great deal and I'm just hoping that the two of them now can be heavily involved in the Christmas run of games and for the rest of the season Serge might get a paper cut wrapping his presents or something he'd be out for another month yeah well I was surprised I was reading reading that he was on the bench and Paddy Power said that that was subject to him coming through the next 90 minutes before kickoff. so thankfully he did make that and he looked okay but from when Sturridge was on we didn't create an awful lot so I wouldn't really read too much into it I think the best part was that he was able to run and kind of track back and work for the team and minutes on the pitch can only be a good thing for him yeah and I suppose he's playing Newcastle next actually you give me then yeah hopefully um, I take that now we are um, we are away from home so it might be that big a, a scoring game but, but was that not they were, last year uh, they were not great at the weekend against Palace so I'm hoping that the same side turns up against us on Sunday. The question to all three is, I suppose, well, because Liverpool involved in leaning towards you as well, Chris, but Liverpool and Spurs, they're not, like, what, six points off the top or something? Like, can, I know said to me in the past that you don't think that you can challenge the title this year. We're currently six off the top, like that's, you said. That's not a huge thing. And we're closer to the top than the year we finished second at this stage. What I think for us now at the moment is to focus on getting into the top four. And then maybe reassess in a couple of months if we're in a better position than that. But so what about Spurs? For Spurs, I would say it's probably the same. I think if you offered Spurs fans fourth place at the end of the season, they'd still take it now. Because yeah, they're only what four off the top, are they? Um, yeah, yeah they're, they're they're a couple six, of points clear of us. Four yeah. off, so yeah, they're two clear of us. Um, and it's all about getting into the 
that Champions League, um, the money that's in it now with BT Sports, it's just you want to be there on a regular basis. And just as we're talking, Stoke have done me a huge favour. So, cheers, Mark Hughes. <laughs> yeah, I, I just saw that. <laughs> Uh, that's, like it. It's going to be looking well for you. Yeah, hopefully Liverpool can bring it home for me tomorrow. I've got all three games now. The sides are winning 2-0. Oh, come on, so. Saints. Come on, Southampton. <laughs> Such a nice guy, Glenn. Uh, I know, I know. Thanks. Enjoy work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Uh, if I've only got tomorrow, then I've got a half-day Thursday, and I'm off for the week. So, not too bad. Um, Gary... Do you remember you were talking about... Uh, <laughs> I know where this is going. A certain Mr. Towell. I do, League of Ireland football. The big wigs of Brighton must have been listening to you. No, I he, was due, he was due a move. He's played very well the last two years and there's only so long a player can go kind of unnoticed because you, like anyone always says if you play well in domestic league, you deserve an international call-up. So he hasn't quite gotten that far yet, but he's gotten his move to the championship. <laughs> Well, we were just, just talking about it before we came on for the pod and I asked you if you thought he'd get the call up now to the Irish team and you said yeah which it's kind of a bit I don't know if it's a bit infuriating or what the right word is that he would get a call up based on a move to England rather than his performances in Ireland it's no, it, it kind of indicate the the Irish selection team are not really taking any notice of what's, what's going on domestically no, like, it, things it are going is. well for the domestic. I hear like attendances are up and everything. No, like it, it is frustrating, like especially when you consider like maybe what eight, eight or nine we say in the Ireland squad now have all come from League of Ireland clubs, and they're players that people wouldn't even think of. So you've got we say Anthony Stowe, Seamus Coleman, James McLean, Wes Wes Hoolan, Robbie Brady. Before he went to United, went was with a League of Ireland club. So. They're all there, but they don't get the recognition. Shane Long is another one. Kevin I remember, Doyle. remember a long time ago when uh, when Glenn Crow got his call up. The kind of the he was the first Irish league player to get a call in such a long time. It just seems that it's taken a step back from there. Yeah, it has, and it's almost like a similar thing. What's happening in with the English national team, where players can play well, but because they're not playing for clubs, they won't get recognition. Like. Scott Dan and Jason Punch in at Palace. They've been consistently good this year, but they can't get into the England squad. And it's pretty much because they're playing for Palace, and the same with Shawcross at Stoke. Terrell has had a similar thing with the Irish squad because he's playing in what they see as a, a poor domestic league, so there's no recognition for it. But hopefully now with Brighton, he'll be a premiership player in the next five, six months and might get um, the chance he deserves them. Yeah, and I suppose at the end of the day, it can only help the national team if he does get in. That we'll have another Premier League player playing for, for from Ireland, because a lot of them do tend to come from the lower leagues. Yeah, yeah that's a lot the of ones that tend to drop in and out, don't they? Yeah, like there is. There's a lot of ex League of Ireland players playing in the Championship and League One, and even up in Scotland, like Adam Rooney with Aberdeen. He's consistently in the, we'd say, the top three goal scorers in Scotland for the last three years. 26, he's a good striker, he's been put in the squad by O'Neill, but he's always one of the first ones to be cut when the squad is, na- is narrow. Yeah, but you do have to put into context so, the fact that the, the League of Ireland and the Scottish League are probably at a standard lower than Championship. So if you're scoring goals, great, it's, they're confident, but 
they're still playing at a level that's nowhere near what they'd be playing with if they ever put on the jersey for Ireland. So I, I know you could say give them a chance and how are you going to prove it, but if they haven't proven it in their careers at that stage, someone like a Rooney, it's because he hasn't been able to do it at that higher level. So call him up, Grant, see what he has, but I wouldn't be too disappointed if, if O'Neill doesn't give him a cap. But it was the same. It was the same with Wes Houlihan. Like when Wes left, when Wes left Shells, he went to Livingston, had a good first year with them. Then Holloway brought him to Blackpool. He had a couple of very good years with Blackpool. He was in the team of the. He got them promoted from League One to the Championship. Was in the team of the year then. Stayed with them then up until they got promoted. And then he actually decided to leave to go to Norwich. And as everyone knows, what he's done in Norwich, but it was only his time there he got recognition. But when he was at Shells, he had, especially the game against Deportivo, that was probably the game of his career. He played, he was playing against people like Valoran, Scaloni, and he effectively played them off the pitch in midfield. And they were established international to have 50, 60 caps for Spain and Argentina. And they did nothing against him. Yeah, but that was, that was one game. As in, you, you can't base that. Everyone has a good game. Like Deportivo, they were pre-season. Shells were in the middle of their season you can look at one or two games and go well look this was a guy played very well but how many how often do you see in the FA Cup a guy having a standout game playing for Wickham or playing for Barnsley against the team it doesn't mean they're going to be good enough to score international goals yeah no fair enough I I, I understand I just it's it's frustrating for me because I do like everyone knows I like the Irish League football and I think it deserves more credit than what I get considering the players that have come from there but like they should just be given more of a chance, and like I said, hopefully Richie Town now he will get into the into the panel for twenty sixteen. Yeah, um, I don't think any League of Ireland players made the Ballon d'Or shortlist, did they? <laughs> <laughs> but, no, not a chance. But the final three nominees: they're Messi, Neymar, Ronaldo, and Messi's the favourite this year. Um, deserve a top three? Do you think? The only Probably, one. I think. It's, it's Suarez, hard to leave Luis Suarez out. Yeah, but that's, that's obviously when you've got three players of that quality, someone's got to miss out. Yeah, he's just the unlucky one, I suppose. Yeah, well, plus he had a ban at the start of the year as well, so maybe that kind of entered people's minds. Is but it not the calendar year, though? I'm not sure. Um, one of them runs February to, to December, isn't it? And then, So I'm not sure when the actual voting is done. Right. Yeah, I, th- I I think the Ballon d'Or is the February to February to December. But there was actually there was stats put up on Suarez today, and he's he finished a goal short of Neymar, and two, whatever it was two or three off Ronaldo or Messi. But he had more assists than the other two, and they said yeah. that they said for this year it's supposed to go, and we'd say game changer moments and the effect you have on games or whatever. But then should, like, it, should should maybe Ronaldo not have been there at all, considering the other three did the treble at Barcelona. I think it's a brave person who yeah, takes Ronaldo out of that list. Fan of Ronaldo, it probably should have been Neymar, Neymar Suarez, and and then well, you, Messi's missed a couple of months as well. So you could argue should he have been out this year just on on games missed? Like it's been yeah. the other two that have been carrying Barcelona in his absence. So if it's to go on a full calendar year, then should it not be the players that have played the most? I suppose you can't really just do it for just play. But I get I get where you're coming from, but he, he's still up there ahead of goals and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Messi is the best player in the world, as far as I'm concerned. But if he's played two months, he's missed two months, and he's still getting 
this award that when the other two are scoring goals and creating chances while he's sitting on the bench. There's something a little bit off with that as far as I can see. But then I suppose if he's been out for two months yet, he still has more goals and assists than them. Not more assists than uh, oh, Suarez. Oh, more goals anyway. I think Suarez has the highest total of goals as assists and assists between the, the three. I did hear that like this has like been Neymar's best year and this is like Ronaldo's worst year in like three or four years and yet there's like a couple of goals and assists between them in the difference. Yeah, I think yeah, like, it shows the standard that Messi and Ronaldo hit when they were the two of them were getting into the sixties and seventies. Yeah. I think like Ronaldo's kind of this is it for him, like this is his last chance nearly. Maybe not his last chance, but like Neymar's still what, twenty one, twenty two and then Suarez is looking better and better. The only thing no, it could be tough tough for either of them to win it whilst he's still in the team. Neymar being so young, you'd say he's bound to get it at some stage. Suarez might be a bit tougher. If Suarez's reputation could cost him it ever. I know yeah, it's I think, horrible to say, but it could. I think that's why he didn't get the the Player of the Year in um, the Premier League the year Van Persie got it. I mean, apart from the the biting against Chelsea, which ruled him out at the end you'd say he was the best player in the Premier League um, Van Persie obviously went on to score more goals because Suarez was suspended for the end of the season well I do think that it was the lack of popularity among opposition players and, and managers that cost him the, the the player of the year award like I said yeah he's behaving himself anyway at the moment so just call it who's going to win it Messi I'd, I'd go Neymar Neymar yeah I think so too interesting I, I, I probably agree with Chris on saying Messi as well like I, I I think the fact that he missed two months yet still has the most goals and stuff and I, I know you can't say he dragged Barcelona because he had Neymar and Suarez with him to help get the treble but it's part of the treble winning team but yeah be interesting to see yeah um, a couple of months and we'll find out exactly yeah um, moving on football we mentioned Suarez there who likes to fight but there was a fight on last Saturday the boxing that we all kind of had a bit of an interest in um, did you get to watch it Gary? No, I didn't get to watch him. Unfortunately, I was keeping keeping track on the um, the Sky Tracker app, and I, yeah. I I said in last week's pod I thought Fury would win. I think Chris said the same, so I was obviously happy that he won. But do you see, I, he actually said today he wants his next fight to be in Croke Park. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was Manchester. He said I thought he, was, I thought he said Manchester. No, he said no. He said Man, yeah. Manche- Manchester would be like the the ideal one, but because of his Irish heritage and this and that, he'd love to fight. He, he did on some, I think it was 96FM in Cork or whatever it was, and said that he'd um, he'd love to fight in Crow Park and it was Klitschko then, against Klitschko then, so be it. Yeah, no, I don't he, think that he, fight could um, could sell out Crow Park. I don't think there'd be enough interest. I could be wrong, but um, Tyson's definitely a charismatic and interesting per- person, but Klitschko, not so, unless you're a diehard boxing fan and just appreciates the way he's dominated I'd be. I don't even think that could do uh, the Aviva personally. No, in, saying, in saying that, now I would be interested in going, but I can't imagine another eighty or ninety thousand fans feeling the same way. I think because no, like, it's such a big event, though. Those twenty twenty-five. If you look at um, now, obviously it wasn't for a world title, but um, actually, I'm not sure. I don't think it was when David Hay fought Chisora. No, but it was. T- it was. It was two Londoners, and that did Upton Park. That event, a venue like that, where it's around 
30,000. I think Upton's 26 and then maybe more people on the, on the pitch. I think something like that Tyson could do. But 52,000, you're looking at... Didn't Ricky Hatton do that like when he fought Costa Zoo? So you're looking at a much higher level by the time you do that. And Ricky had obviously the massive following from Manchester. Well, I think... I just, it, I just can't I, imagine that many Klitschko fans travelling over. And like I said, I can't see Fury having... Well, he'd probably need 70, at least, if not more, of his own fans to, to kind of fill that out. Yeah, I think what you yeah. want is more, more in the future, like in a couple of years, if maybe like Anthony Joshua is challenging him or something. Or if, I know he said he doesn't want it, but if he did end up fighting David Hay, that could probably go to Wembley. Yeah, he says he doesn't would... want to at all. He says he won't fight Hay at all. But I suppose if Hay became mandatory, he probably... Yeah, he said if, he, if he's mandatory, he'll give up the belt. But I can't I see him he... doing that. If he sees the money available from fighting Wembley, and you have to think that as as annoyed he's been with Hay for the two times Hay pulled out, he'd love to beat him. Imagine him beating Hay in Hay's home in London in front of ninety odd thousand at Wembley. I don't think Tyson could turn that down. Yeah, and as well as that, like the ego he has, like he obviously believes he could beat Hay and beat him quite comfortably. So why wouldn't he want to prove that to the world? Yeah, so the. But I think he, he said for now he wants to take like a few months off, didn't he? Yeah, he said, he said it was something he wants to take six months off and then they'll talk about the Klitschko rematch if Klitschko actually decides to take it. But I'd be surprised if Klitschko went for I think the the next one for him would be either Anthony Joshua or unify all the belts and, and go after Deontay Wilder. No, it won't. It won't be Joshua. I think Joshua himself knows it's too soon. It is too soon. Um, He's been good, but too soon. Six months isn't too long for him to be off as well because heavyweights wouldn't fight much more than twice a year anyway. Um, so yeah, not Joshua as far as I could see. I think the most likely is Klitschko. And I think they'll be back in Manchester. I'm not sure what the terms of the, the contract are because I it, 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 Klitschko is entitled to a rematch, but I'm not sure where it has to be. Probably I the champion will get the, the kind of favourable saw of that, but other than that, I'm not sure. I think it has to be in England because he fought him in Germany, so he said that the next one would have to be in England and probably Manchester. Do you hear all these accusations of cheating in the Klitschko camp? There have been rumours of that before. Like They've done different things, and like with the taping of the gloves, they both have a rep from the other the other fighters' camp there while the hands are being taped up or whatever, but apparently they're notorious for it. They just little things like that. Like I saw a thing Tyson Fury said he wouldn't drink any of the water while he was in there um, when he was fighting because he was afraid he'd come back with a positive drugs test yeah he left dehydrated and also something yeah. like the foam in the ring his, his foot kept sinking in it or something yeah and the same with the boxing gloves as well they didn't give him his fight gloves until the day before the fight I think it's just something that yeah, it's, they have the power they know they have the power it's kind of all these little things to kind of put the challenger off as opposed to cheating obviously now if the, if the water was tampered with and that is cheating but I don't think there's, there's been any proof of that in the past no, I think the foam and the and the gloves is like kind of mind game more than anything. Yeah, well, the gloves are obviously the one the champion champion wanted, and that was obviously agreed in the contract, so they knew they were going to have to go along with it. Um, as for the ring, it was the same for both fighters, but obviously, like if all these little things are to Klitschko's preferences, then he's obviously going to be much more ready for them and much more used to them. But as as it has been in the past, as David Hay said before, when while the Klitschko's held the belts, you had to kind of bow to their 
whatever he wants if he wanted to go and fight them in Germany. Yeah, so I suppose fair play to Fury. He did everything and he came he out. Did. He did it the hard way as well. And, and like Gary said, he's pro- he's earned his fight back in England. So hopefully if there is a rematch, it will be there. And hopefully the real uh, Vladimir will turn up because he didn't look himself in the the match uh, on Saturday night. Yeah, I heard Fury say though himself that he feels he was only boxing at 60 or 65% himself. But I suppose he can say that when he's won. Yeah, I'm sure like there's room for improvement on both fighters as as is the case with UFC when you go through these these long camps in the build up to fights you're bound to have little injuries and sometimes big injuries that you just have to try and get through and so I wouldn't be surprised if they're fighting injuries within themselves yeah I would like to rematch and let them do it back in chat. moving on Chris me and you were in a freezing RDS on Friday night we were in the coldest place I've ever been before, Glenn. And that is saying something because you normally don't feel the cold. <laughs> yeah, but thankfully, um, by hook or by crook, Leinster managed to get the win against Ulster. And the players must have felt it as well because it was a, a pretty dire game. Yeah. Cro- like cro- I said, the, the on, yeah. most important thing, we got the we got the win and solidified our position in the top four. Yeah, like I suppose... The game ended eight three. It wasn't it wasn't a single point in the second half. So like we got freezing just sitting there. Not not much to cheer about. No, no jumping up and down. I think Lancer started quite well. Um, obviously got the penalty to go in front, and then we seemed to defend for the majority of the remainder of the first half until we got that try from Cronin. And then in in the second half we did have a little bit more territory and. We're, kind of, we're held up over the line and knocked the ball up short once as well um, but I, like I said I think this game won't last long in the memory it will be the, the result that's the, the thing we take forward from this one yeah we, we, we met a few uh, met a couple of players after the game we did um, we were lucky enough to bump into the, one of the Ulster star men Ruin Pienaar and he was kind enough to give us a, a picture and I'm hoping if we bump into him a couple more times we'll be able to convince him to make the switch to Leinster you did ask him alright I did ask him and um, he didn't rule it out 100% <laughs> from what I remember <laughs> I think if, if, if any uh, Leinster officials are listening there is there's definitely a possibility there if you can offer him a good package <laughs> <laughs> so would he come to a side here now up to fourth in the league so we're, we're five points behind Connacht yeah we are and only a point behind Munster who suffered a crushing defeat of their own at the weekend. Isn't that right, Stephen? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call it a crushing defeat, I think. It's important. We're Munster at home. Yeah, it was Connacht's first away win to an Irish province in 29 years. At yeah. Tomlin Park, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> I don't think it'll be the only record they break this year. I think they looked very, very impressive. They've started well oh, this season. Oh, serious side contenders now? Yes. Without a shadow of a doubt, they've been probably on on form team. I know Scarlett started superbly, but Connacht have won eight of nine or nine of ten now. They've gone to Russia, got a bonus point. They've beaten a French team at home in the Challenge Cup. They've beaten Munster away, which very few teams can do. I think they are now the team to beat this season. I think I know they've lost Fox Matamu for the season, who was who was a loss. He had a very good start to the year. And Henshaw's out for six weeks now, I think, with a broken hand. So those kind of injuries, they can't afford because they haven't got huge depth. 
but this team can easily well I think they'll make the playoffs but this team could easily win the Pro 12 it was, I think it was 13 of the starting 15 that played against Munster qualified for Ireland like I think it was and it was like your man AJ McGinty who's now qualified for the US it wasn't one of those obviously as well but like will we, we see more Connacht players in the Irish squad in the next few years I don't even think the next few years I think if you look at, at the Six Nations squad going up I'd expect five players in there maybe I think the most Connacht have had is two maybe I don't think White and Rodney Ayew were ever called up in the same squad so I think the most they've had in recent years is two with one of those and Henshaw but I can see four or five coming in I think um, the winger Matt Healy looks, looks a talent I think there's Especially with people like O'Connor Marmion, gone. Marmion have a shot, chance. Um, Marmion, Marmion should be in there. I think you're going to have Murray and then one of the Leinster ones and then Marmion. Um, like, this is the time. This is the perfect time because there's going to be vacancies in that squad post-World Cup. So if you can take a place now, this is the time for Connor players to do it. And, and they're proving it. They've had a superb start. Yeah. Now, I... I personally thought they were going to struggle a little bit in the second half of, of this, or the second quarter of the season. Bear in mind, they're going to have to play Leinster, Ulster, Munster and Scarlets. But the way they played against Munster, they, I wouldn't say beat them up, but they were hugely impressive. And that, that last minute try by um, oh, the centre, Bundyaki, was, was a fantastic score. I think yeah. they're definitely in, in in Ireland they're the best team I think Scarlets maybe have been impressive from Wales and no one else in the Pro 12 so I think if Connor can keep his form up so after 8 rounds we've been through the table doesn't lie um, it can do as in, if he'd said before this game I'd have said 7 games in but they've probably played the 7 of the, of the 11 games you play they've played the 7 worst teams so if they'd gone and lost to Munster, Ulster and Enster and Scarlets, then those first seven games wouldn't have meant a lot. But going to Munster and winning has now proved that they're a top four team and I think now you can say the league doesn't lie. You mentioned the Six Nations there. Tommy Bowes said that he, he still is aiming to be fifth for the Six Nations. So that would be a boost for Ireland as well. I suppose another boost for Munster and I suppose Ireland as well. CJ Standers extended his Munster contract. Are you happy with that, Stephen? Yes. Our best player, I'd say, over the last 18 months. Um, I think there was very little doubt he was going to do it. He just qualified for Ireland. The only the only place he would have possibly gone would have been one of the other Irish provinces, but that was never really in his mind. Two-year deal, and then I think he'll be probably starting number eight for Ireland. I think he'll he'll in that time he'll probably um, move on Jamie Heaslip. So he's. It's definitely a huge signing for us, but one that I don't think was in any, any doubt, unlike someone like Zebo or Murray. Yeah, so it is good news here for all, all Irish and Munster rugby, I suppose. Yeah, m- most definitely. I'm uh, looking forward to seeing him uh, playing for the national side. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to actually see him. Uh, I don't see why he wouldn't get a run out in one of the Six Nation games. That even like I know Heesop is still probably the Heesop could be the new captain. But I'd still like to see stand there in the squad and give him a run out. Yeah, absolutely. Whether whether he replaces Heaslip right away, um, he's definitely good enough to be in the squad. You play him in the Italy game or Scotland game or something like that. I'd say, unfortunately, for another Leinster player, it would probably be 
someone like Jordy Murphy who'd miss out. Uh, more than likely, yeah. like, would they play Stander and Hista together? Uh, so play Stander at six or seven. Yeah, they could move him to seven, but I wouldn't advise it. He'll play there and he'll do a good job, but he is an eight. Um, yeah, he's most effective as an eight. But I don't, I don't, I can't see Hista playing anywhere other than eight. If, if you're looking for a no. seven, though, Jack O'Donoghue looks a huge talent. He was suburb again at the weekend. I think he's only twenty-one, but he looks like the next back rower from Munster and he looks there's a line of them coming out production line there's, they always have it's something they've always produced going down with Wallace and Quinlan and the like was the forwards from Munster backs from Leinster is what it used to be yeah for a long long time that was it you'd have eight Munster forwards seven Leinster backs and then but now it looks the yeah now it's just Leinster forward Leinster backs and the odd Munster player in there somewhere <laughs> <laughs> It's the turn of Connacht over the next few years. Well, if, if they keep progressing, I think they have a young group of Irish players coming through together, which which is which is hugely important. If you look at the, at the Irish squad, was it? I think they fielded the oldest starting World Cup team in history in one of the games in the World Cup. So there is a lot of turnover to happen over the next four years. So we do need players coming through, and the likes of a leader down there, Healy, Henshaw. There's there's definitely a, a big chance for them to to nail down a spot for Japan 2019 if, if they keep this form up over the next two three years roll on Japan 2019 we'll all be there there as well yeah counting down the days the, the, the other positive thing just to say is that we're now picking from four teams as opposed to like you said previously it was back from Leinster forwards from Munster it's now the four provinces that are contributing to the national team and if they can continue to do that and, and increase the numbers that each side kind of gives it can only help us um in the six six nations and to try and get over that quarterfinal duck in japan it would properly be the four prize provinces exactly yeah. that's, that's, it's, it's, the, it's like the irfu have finally given money to connacht i'm just saying the irfu have finally given money to connacht and they've turned it around in three four years it's it's something they, they've needed to do because our problem has always been strength and depth so one extra club extra 33 percent of of talent is is what we need for four years time so it's in fairness to IRFU I know they did neglect Connacht for a long time but under Elwood and now under Lamb they have put money in and they're getting the rewards very very quickly long may it continue um, so just to wrap up this week's show we've got a couple of sports to have a quick chat about that we don't normally talk about but uh, Stephen am I right in saying that you're a bit of an Andy Murray fan slightly yeah I would have been why <laughs> Uh, I suppose he he's had a he's had a pretty good uh, weekend with uh, Britain winning the Davis Cup. He has, yeah. Um, for anyone who the didn't see this, year yeah, he seems to be specialised in ending ending long running British streaks. I think he's broken four records over the last four years that have totaled three hundred and thirty eight years, something like seventy five years for the last male Wimbledon champion. 80 something years for the US Open, 79 for Davis Cup and possibly 90 years for the last male Olympic gold medalist. So he's like he's the best tennis player Britain has produced since Fred Berry. It's he's world number 2. I'd say he's he's unlucky yeah, in the fact that he's he's a long way behind Djokovic, but yeah, he's unlucky to have been in an era with three of the best players ever in tennis. I think in history he'll go down as Rafa, Roger and Novak will each have double digits in major titles 
um, they'll be in the top 10 of all time players and in some in and amongst them Murray's managed to win two major titles and an Olympic gold medal where will he rank in terms of the all time tennis greats is what I want to know well all time tennis greats isn't there let's be honest two Grand Slams and, and one Davis Cup isn't going to put you in the top 20 realistically he was a superb player and one of the best Britain had ever produced but if you look back in history you've got Connors you've got Lendl you've got Borg you've got um, I think Sampras, the, um, even the Olympic win would keep him in the conversation Stephen though because very mm. few people was, wasn't he the first person to win a gold medal for tennis yeah or definitely since it was reintroduced reintroduced yeah. I don't know if it was there before so the first man to, to win gold at the Olympics is obviously going to keep him in the conversation but well no he's not like he said not enough to get him as the best overall and in terms of history he's not the first to win it um, it's been in for the last like, 20 years um, and the the best and, and he was the first yeah. he was the first for Britain oh yeah first for Britain in, I, think, I think he was 90 years I think they won in, in the 20s but like in our era he'll be maybe fourth best behind the other three in history with two grand slams um, he's not going to be like Chang had more Michael Chang he's not in that list um, Matt Philander had more he's barely in that list you need to have five six grand slams to even be close to that conversation like Djokovic wasn't in that conversation until maybe a year and a half ago where, and he had six grand slams at that stage he's he's a brilliant player and I, I love watching him but to say he's in that all all time list is like he's he's not. No, but he's he's still only twenty eight, so there is time for him to probably add to that um, Grand Slam list. There is, and if he goes and gets three more over the next probably three years, I think I don't think he's he's has the durability of Federer. I think he's has notorious injury problems over time. Not quite as bad as Rafa, but I'd say he's three years. If he can get one Grand Slam per year. Then, then maybe you talk about him breaching the top ten of all time. But he does need to win those three majors. And Novak Djokovic has been in imperious form the last two years. And while he can't win them all, I think he's doing a good shot of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think he's the closest in player in history to winning all four. Um, since it, it was done by Lever, I think. Yeah, like he's if he does go in those three extra majors, then yeah you can begin to talk about is he approaching the top 10 list but right now he's just a very very good tennis player of zero probably the the player that the british public wanted hemming to be just in the wrong um in the wrong era well i think british public don't care who he is as long as he's british and he's winning i think if, it had been... know, if, he's, if he's losing he's scottish no yeah, but as in it. just if like uh, poor greg rosetsky Exactly. <laughs> like if Greg Rosetti had won that US Open against Pat Rafter in the nineties, he'd have been the the great British hero and Henman would have been the the plucky loser guy. I know he was anyway, but uh, if but if if it had been Rosetti who won the major, he'd have been the British hero. If Henman had done it, he would have been. Murray is now the British hero because he's he's done it. The Brits don't really care about who you are as long as you like they've got I can't remember where he's from. I think he might be Serbian, but the 
the guy who's become a British national this year, who's top 50 in the world, if he goes on, I think it's Bedeen, if he goes on and wins a major, he'll be British, regardless of the fact that he only lived in the country for two years before he was nationalised. It's 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 the same with us. We'll take um, South African, New Zealand people, and once they play for Ireland, we, we don't we don't care their background once they're successful. I suppose just to wrap it up, then this week's episode, um, we were talking about how great could Andy Murray be, and Gary in basketball, Kobe Bryant is retiring at the end of the season. He is one of the greats. Yeah, he is. He's up there with. He's up there with Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Will Chamberlain. He's he is one of the, the all time greats. And for players who are at the top of their game now, like Kevin Durant, Westbrook, Chris Paul, most people get into basketball. They say they got into it because of Michael Jordan. All of these and LeBron James as well have said they got into playing basketball because of Kobe Bryant. That he was he was that good and for him to come in I think he came in at 17 17, 18 years old straight first draft into the NBA and uh, one club player the whole way so everything he's done in there and as a Bulls fan I'm kind of happy now he'd be he'd be retired because he tormented us for years on end (laughs) yeah he's been he's someone who definitely has been yeah you're talking about all time greats I think Kobe is a lot closer than Andy Murray was. Um, I've, got, I've got some of his like some of the things he's won here over his career. It's like five NBA championships, two NBA Finals MVPs, the NBA MVP in 2008, 17 times in, in the NBA All Star, two Olympic golds with USA. Like that is a true legend of the game. Yeah, he's the best. Yeah, absolutely. Of this generation, second highest points total I think ever in a match. Yeah, he got second, sorry, the second highest ever points total. Yeah, he, he he cleared eighty points in one night before. <laughs> like that's just crazy. Yeah, I think like, it was eighty. It was eighty four, eighty five points in a game, and that that night, literally, as you can tell by the score, he couldn't miss it. Like he could have tried any anything to miss a shot, and it still wouldn't have happened. So he was on his day. He was he probably was. It put him up there with with Michael Jordan as probably the two greatest ever to play. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. Will Chamberlain, I think, <laughs> is going to have a lot to disagree with. Um, I think Kobe's the best of this generation in the way Jordan was the best of that generation. But to, to say that Kobe's above Will Chamberlain, Shaquille O'Neal will have something to say about that. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, there's Not players the, out there who are... Kobe's... He has did, five world titles. Did Shaq, win a, did Shaq win a title without Kobe, though? I, I think Shaq won Shaq won one with Miami Heat when he went when there was the big thing about the first time Shaq was playing against Kobe but the other thing is Shaq can't make a free throw to save his life <laughs> like, like even the, the, there's the piss take song of it 99 bricks he can't make a free throw like for, for the Jay-Z song he, he can't do that but I again the, they're scary movie bit yeah like they're, they're different positions like Shaq as a centre is an absolute monster and it, he played in Lear that had Tim Duncan, that had Pau Gasol, Luke Longley, and that. Whereas, look at the era Kobe and Jordan were in, where there was Scottie Pippen, there was John Stockton, there was, like, you could rattle off um, Hall of Famers pretty much that are on the list. And he's had the longevity to keep going, and he's been, up until this season, he's been consistent. He's just, injuries have finally caught up with him now. Yeah, true. But to say him and Jordan are out there as top two is 
a little bit exaggeration to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Stephen's not uh, messaging Gary. No. Uh, and then look, okay, if, if you look now, it's, it, it's the same. Look, it, it's the same you could do with like if you were to say the greatest footballers ever. Everyone's going to have a different opinion on who it was. Like my my own opinion would be I'd put Jordan, Jordan and Kobe up there. Then obviously you'd have Will Chamberlain, Magic Johnson. They'd all be that upper, like like what we'd say Messi and Ronaldo. They're that bracket, and then everyone else falls in straight underneath. As in Pele and Maradona behind those two, or we, we can no? Well, I'm I'm saying modern time, now. guys, so we can leave that for another for another day. <laughs> but uh. Yes, guys, Steve wasn't happy with you there. And I don't think we were happy with you last week choosing Southampton for your bet of the for our bet of the week. What was going on there? And, uh, and the bet can't just be blamed on me. <laughs> no, I suppose it can't. Uh, Chris, you're placing it this week. Who have we gone for? You've gone for a slightly safer bet this week with Southampton, Spurs, Liverpool, Man City, and Arsenal. And for our, our 40 euro stake, we'll return. Three hundred and ninety-seven seventy-two. That'll do it. We'll, we'll take any win at this stage. Yeah, yeah just <laughs> under nine to one. So. Fingers crossed. <laughs> we still won't break even, um, but hey. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we'll need to win more than one anyway, because it hasn't been good for us. Um. Anyway, Gary, the question of our week of the week hasn't been going good for you. So, uh, just to recap it this week, it was. With Leicester going into this weekend's fixture at the top of the league, I want to know what was Leicester City's highest ever top five finish. So I'll go straight to you, Gary. So are you? T- is it Premier League era or the whole football championship, or is it just Premier League era? No, no top flight. So not not just Premiership. Um, change your Google answer. <laughs> no, I actually think I read I read something on this a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not sure if they actually won the league before. Okay, so I'm going. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go second. Second, okay. Stephen. Yep. Same with me. Second place. Second place as well. And Chris. Yeah, the answer is second, Glenn. And this was actually a question that I asked them when one of the weeks you were off sunning yourself in Spain. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to, you want to go to the year they won it for the points, maybe. If you want to what? Go to the year they did it. Or the manager, maybe. Got <laughs> <laughs> it all here. One oh, more yeah. round, week three. Cut out. Glenn, that's poor. Did you obviously not listen to that week, Glenn? No, I didn't, no. <laughs> I just don't remember that. Live. <laughs> Pure live. Poor Sue, had, poor Sue had to sit there and listen to it. because We were going to listen to it when we were in the pub. So I was sitting there and listening to it. So are we looking at a point each this week? I'll go for a point each if he's there. I None think, for you though. I think maybe we just take a point away from Glenn. For Agreed. for plagiarism. Same thing, I'm only on like two. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll give you a point each there. <laughs> Chris, who was the coach again? Where did you find that question, Chris? Um, I was researching it because Leicester were high flying, so... <laughs> <laughs> I looked into where it was the highest position they'd ever finished before and it was the I think it was it was the twenty eight, twenty nine season and then I was looking up the manager they had at the time as well. It was indeed, yeah. I think it was uh, I was around the time when Rooney um was on his goal uh, dodgy goal run, so I was kinda of researching stuff around like when was the last time he was on a drought like that and when was the last time Leicester were as high in the league. 
little did we know that this would still be up there now. There you go. So anyway, that's it for another week. Thanks as always for joining us. I wish you all a lot, all a lot more luck than we've been having with our bets. Uh, until next week, goodbye. Now get up one more round. Machine. I can hear no bell! Get up, you son of a bitch! Making love. <laughs>